Hi, this is Jason Oberlander, Chief Commercial Officer at ASM Global, and this is One-on-One with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Well, that little pearl of Aristotelian wisdom is probably one of the most frequently used, or maybe overused, phrases in the business world. But the meaning can be a little opaque at times. Well, unless you're Jason Oberlander, the chief commercial officer for ASM Global, he knows exactly what it means. You see, Jason is charged with generating commercial activity for ASM's network of over 350 stadiums, arenas, convention centers, and other facilities located around the world. Driving revenue is increasingly tied to constructing a single platform for his partners from all those different parts. In our conversation, Jason and I talk about how ASM plans to accomplish that lofty goal, lessons learned from the COVID era, what goes into developing a great partnership, and much more. You'll even get a little French lesson. Que bon, mon ami. So Jason Oberlander, if you can provide a quick overview of the ASM global business, I think that would be really helpful for folks, because I think ASM sometimes operates a little bit out of sight from how most people see the sports business world. So give us a little bit of sense of what that is. How, how did it get started and, and what kind of scale are we really looking at today? Yeah, sure. So um, ASM Global is really the product of a merger uh, pre-COVID. Uh, oh, there between, was a time pre-COVID. Yeah, there was a time. Uh, <laughs> and it was a merger between AEG facilities and SMG facilities. Okay. And the combined entity um, created the largest venue management company in the world. So we manage uh, 350 venues globally Yikes! across the arena, stadium, theater, amphitheater, convention center, and other space. How long do they give you to visit all of those? Yeah, it's a lifetime. <laughs> I don't know anyone that's checked off the, all of them. I mean, can you even check out 50% of those? My gosh, right. it's such a huge portfolio. But I mean, in your role... As chief commercial officer, obviously, there's it's sort of integral to have a fairly decent sense of you know who what the buildings are, what they offer, and everything like that. So, if you could, what is the chief commercial officer for ASM Global? What falls under your purview on a day to day basis? It's it's broader than sponsorships, okay. Um, in the sense that we can do a number of of different partnership you know modes, B two B front, um, right integrated into operations, um, but it also includes, you know, guest facing uh, partnerships with brands. Uh, yeah. So anything tied to engagement with uh, brands yep. uh, for sponsorship, naming rights, advertising falls into the you know realm of commercial partnerships. Right. So the really consumer facing stuff that people are very familiar with, you know, the names on the buildings and the and signs inside the stadiums, that's certainly one piece of it. But there's a whole nother element of it too, which is that B2B facing stuff. Was that a I mean you obviously came out of, particularly out of IMG College and Learfield and all those pieces where the consumer pace facing pieces were so, you know, overt. It was the B2B piece 
provide sort of a different lens for you? Is this like you've got a lot of familiarity with it or has there been a lot? Yeah, it's not unfamiliar. We certainly did need to be partnerships within the collegiate space. And, and, you know, even before that, when I was with the NBA, right. So I, I'm, I'm familiar with that conversation and, and how those partnerships come to life. Um, here, it's a little uh, different in the sense that it's just weighted towards those partnerships, at least in the early days. Right. Uh, because uh, I think the one of the big opportunities we have going forward is figuring out how we harness all the touch points for guest facing engagement over time. And, no, because and that's, that's changing big, on a minute by minute basis, right? That's right. That's right. And and I think, you know, we, we know what those guest facing, you know, touch points are to some extent we can deliver them today. Uh, but to do it in a way that is networked and yeah. linked that provides yeah. ease of activation at scale is our opportunity. So we're looking to build, you know, a digital out of home network that links up all of our screens inside the building and outside. Um, we're looking to make investments in new screens. We're putting our web platform on, on a new um, trajectory that's going to be more commercially friendly and viable. Our social, you know, platform, data monetization, you know, for retargeting purposes for brands. These are all elements that we're pursuing to be able to provide engagement to brands at scale. Has that been surprising to you or sort of what's really energized you partly about this role? Because I, it sounds like what you're talking about is like it's taking, all right, so we have 350 different arenas and stadiums and facilities in the portfolio. But it sounds like to this point, they've more or less the assets kind of live within those particular facilities. With what you're talking about, it sounds like you're creating for lack of a better term, and it's slower use, so I apologize to everybody who's heard this a million times, a global platform for one by 350 facilities, if that's where a global brand really wants to go. Yeah, no, that, that's what attracted me to the opportunity is it's a massive platform, but it hasn't been tapped on a network-wide basis at scale previously. So it's a build. You know, it's not stepping into an existing you know, ready to go proposition. It's a proposition that is very attractive and viable today, but has great potential, you know, as we continue to make it more sophisticated and, and build it out. So, so it's such a fascinating opportunity and something that's so unique to being able to be on that facility side of the ball. And so I'm wondering is someone who has a long I mean, you've got a long history in sports. I mean, you've worked in sports media and the NBA and you've worked in MMR for college. How does working on the facility side differ for you? I mean, what, what surprised you the most about, you know, brick and mortar? Yeah. Well, I guess the most surprising thing is how similar it is. <laughs> in the sense that, eh, same old thing. Yeah. The, the conversation with partners takes the same trajectory. You know, it's it's about understanding their objectives, what yeah. they're trying to accomplish, how we integrate them into our platform in a way that, you know, showcases their brand in a, an impactful way that right. is of value to our guests and other stakeholders. So it's it's very similar in that regard. I'd say where it differs is instead of focusing on the field of play, mm -hmm. we're focusing on everything around the field of play. everything and, but that's right so it's the experience that you know starts when they buy their ticket and all the communication that happens you know around that 
to when they, you know, figure out how they're going to get to the game, to the parking experience, to what they feel and experience when they walk into the building, um, to the VIP areas and premium areas, to the concessions. It, it's, it's really identifying how we can improve that experience for our guests and who the right partners are to help us do that and and then having those conversations. Yeah, it, I tell you, it's one of those things you talk about a thousand times and I think most people understand it to be true, but you can't underestimate or undervalue that driveway back to driveway experience that people have with a entertainment experience, right? Because your a guest's entire perception of a visit can be changed by an interaction with a parking attendant. That's right. And so, you know, having the complete overview, that's a huge responsibility. And when you're doing it 350 times over, uh, that's a big ball of wax you're dealing with there, my friend. Yeah, it, but it's it's fun for that very same reason. You know, it's it's the scale that gets the interests of our partners. Um, it's what allows us to have an impact on their behalf. Right. I think it would be fascinating, too, and sort of uh, interesting, too, because I know coming out of Learfield in the multimedia rights space, you know, you often have to spend so much time working not only to develop the partnerships, but also to get access to the things that you want to develop that partnership, the things that you realize they really need in order to accomplish the objectives that you define. So there is kind of an ownership capacity now that you have that maybe in previous roles hadn't been quite so concrete. I mean, I'm assuming that offers a, a, a relatively interesting uh, ownership capacity and how you deliver those kinds of things. Yeah, it's exciting. But but again, the process is is remarkably similar. You know, <laughs> the more things change. Have, yeah, we have, you know, at Learfield, I was working across 180, you know, collegiate athletic programs. Well, we had a GM at each of those properties. Mm -hmm. Very similarly, we have a GM here at each of our buildings. And uh, they are the heart and soul of our business, you know, like it, it really requires their embracing of a program, you know, and their involvement in, in bringing it to life that, that makes it work. So you still are selling into both sides, right? I, you know, it's the, the yeah, GMs I, that, yeah. They, they, that, doesn't, that doesn't go away. I mean, if, if you want it to be a successful partnership, you need that level of buy-in and commitment. And I suppose that's kind of a natural segue to my next question too, right? If the GMs are the heart of it, then it really doesn't matter, I'm assuming, about the scale of the kinds of properties that we're talking about here. Because, I mean, I, I looked at the web, <laughs> as your diligent podcast host, I looked at the website before we had this conversation. And, uh, you know, there is a pretty broad scale of arenas and uh, stadiums that you're managing, right? I mean, it's everything right. from the gigantic Super Bowl stadiums like Allegiant Field in Vegas down to minor league baseball stadiums in Stockton. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, how does managing those kinds of commercial activities and expectations differ when you're talking about, you know, huge football stadium or small minor league baseball stadium? Or, or is it all the same no matter what? It's just butts and seats and drive revenue. No, it, it does vary, uh, you know, in, in significant ways. Yeah. And in particular, you know, where we have, you know, an NFL uh, pro team, you know, in the building, that requires very different conversation, you know, <laughs> another building where, you know, we're dealing with, you know, an ECHL uh, hockey team. Right. You know, a, 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 
uh, G League team. Are um, you suggesting that the NFL is sort of fixed in their ways and what their expectations are and have certain demands no, I, over? I, I, I think they're good partners, but it does require, you know, having those those in-depth conversations to see if it makes sense. And you're obviously navigating around their partners. Um, and so protective of the shield and everything that's, that's right. tied to it, right? So anything you that's want to right. do has to make sure that it reflects well on that, yeah? Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, we work in all types of genres, you know, and sports is just one of them. So music... Um, and then the convention center space, you know, it's an entirely different proposition that is totally white space. Yeah, it's totally white. It's fascinating too, right? Because so much attention is focused on sports, right? And mm -hmm. the excitement and it's, you know, it's very sexy and everything like that. But if you talk about bodies through turnstiles, convention centers. It's massive. It's, yeah. it's like unbelievably massive. Yeah. And it's uncluttered. It's, it's a white space environment for brands who really haven't, you know, crack the code, I, I think largely because no one's helping them navigate it until now on, on how to really engage with exhibitors and, you know, those attendees. And I think in the past, I would have said something along the lines of, you know, the difference is that, you know, sports generate so much emotional, portion, right. you know, yeah. content associated with it, right? So the sale is a little different, but, you know, there's certain convention, you look at CES and, you know, the Consumer Electronics group of gathering that's going on in Vegas right now, that generates a lot of excitement and energy around it too. So, you know, the delta between the two of them might not be as far as what I had thought in the past. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's one of the ways that you're looking at it too. No, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, from a high level, you know, we look at the guest traffic across our yep. buildings. Globally. That's 164 million. It's coming through our building. So it's, it, it, it's arguably, you know, the, the largest live event marketing platform out there now it's just that's just a lot of people yeah you can't imagine you know a scenario where a brand is going to step in or can step in yeah. you know to it to take advantage of that entire scale but that's where the conversation goes to objectives and priorities you know where where does that brand want to show up where do they need to show up where do they need to make a difference then we overlay that against our portfolio um, and understand, you know, do we need to key in on sports? Can it be music centric? Does it matter? The brand really drives us uh, in, in those decisions. Yeah, that's fascinating too, right? Because it's not just, you can take a look at what each brand is doing from an existing standpoint. When you're talking about global brands, I mean, they're all involved in different things and doing you know, sports and entertainment and a variety of different things in that regard too. But when you have such a network of facilities Boy, you can really start to mix and match to come up with something that reflects not only what they want to do, but what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. So that's such a powerful piece. I'm wondering also too, like, as so we talked about scope and scale associated with the number of, you know, like, you know, versus like Super Bowl stadiums versus minor league baseball stadiums. How's your experience been just doing that from like national versus international, right? Is the approach that you have to take differ if you're talking about GMs in the US versus because the arena business is incredibly international, right? It's, you know, it's, it's Europe, it's the, you know, it's South America, it's in the Middle East. How does your approach shift in dealing with different international markets like that? Are the expectations the same? No, they are different. Yeah. And I think our opportunity is different, you know, by region around the globe. So um, it's possible to strike a global partnership um, or work in any, you know, venue um, that we manage. But the focus is really on the U.S. and Europe, yeah. because our commercial opportunity is just stronger there, and and that's where we're spending a lot of our 
time, energy, and resource as it relates to partnerships. So when you say upside, is that related to the idea of like, boy, we have so much ceiling to be able to hit. There's so much more activity that we can do here and limitations in some of the other markets or the other markets, Jake, there's so much going on there already. It, it it's, also, just much so it's a function of our deal structure, okay. you know, with each of those venues as well. Yeah, I'm assuming that's not just one type of contract. <laughs> right. So we have different <laughs> venues and we have different <laughs> deal structures with, you know, those venue types. So it it's a it's a puzzle. <laughs> and it's an international business too. I mean, is this some of your first international exposure to these kinds of deals and putting those together that way? Or does that, uh, that in just some time, you yeah. know, because uh, obviously working in the collegiate space, you're very US centric. Just a uh, bit. <laughs> uh, but when I worked at the NBA, um, yeah. you know, that that was a, a global business and it was a fast growing global business. Right. So there's a lot of interest from partners in understanding how, you know, they could work with us and Europe or China or, you know, Africa. In a little bit, I'm going to ask you about to reflect on like how partnerships have, have changed over that because, you know, you've been involved in putting together these, these kinds of relationships between brands and sports for a pretty long time now. So, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm interested in your perspective before we get there though, you know, you, uh, you start, you started ASM in September, 2021. Um, and there was this little thing going on. I don't know if you can think back as far as you possibly can into the dumpster fire that was COVID and what that did to the entertainment facility business. I mean, it was just that. It was a dumpster fire. It was. Uh, Reflect back on that time. I mean, you come in there and it's like, what was that moment like? I mean, was it chaos? Was it uh, throw my hands up and run around type stuff? I mean, I I think it was a, fortunate time to start. It was September and it, it felt like, uh, that hour right before, you know, the sun rises. Oh, really? Uh, so you felt like yeah. it was happening. I felt like it was happening. I, I, I knew that the marketplace was waking up because we had an almost record year in new business, uh, mm. at field for national partnerships. So wow. I, I knew that, the marketplace was primed to get back to work and figure out how to, you know, move their businesses forward. And stepping into ASM when I did it was right as you know venues were were planning to reopen, uh, and it was happening at different stages across the the globe, but it was just starting to happen, and that afforded me the opportunity to kind of be there right as it was reawakening. So that's pretty amazing. Like you come in right in the middle of it, but even at that time there was, okay, this is, I can see where things are heading, right? You can see like to your, to use your term, like the sun was starting to rise because it was part of my language. It was pretty shitty there for a while. I it mean, was, yeah, it was terrible. And, and, you know, we were all me included working um, from home and, yeah, you know, this opportunity with ASM global, I wanted and had the opportunity to come into the office and and be visible. I mean, it was very sparse, you know, around LA Live and 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 offices here at the time. Uh, LA not was, quite so live at that point. Yeah, it was uh, an opportunity to you know spend quality time with my boss and the CEO Ron Benson and yep. some of his recent hires. It, it was a small crew in a quiet office, but it, it gave us an opportunity to kind of get our feet under us and think about how we're planning for this reawakening. That has to be kind of a unique challenge too, right? Because partnerships 
and developing partnerships. I mean, for all the tactics and you know skills that you put against it and things like this is a people business, right? You, right. you mean you you want to be engaged with people. If you you can't do it effectively, if you're not interested in the stories that people are telling and trying to problem solve and working with them to come up with solutions and things like that. Was there a bit of a uh, kind of moment where you'd like that i'm like the working from home thing is great from because you save time on the commute and all that but i mean it's hard to be working solo particularly in a new job what was that like you know it, it, there there wasn't an opportunity to right out of the gate to engage partners because i needed to learn i needed to yeah, understand okay that's fair you know yeah. um the platform i need to go and visit I, I actually took a trip out to the uk and did a tour of our uk properties in november this was kind of in that window between reawakening and Omicron. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And they were just starting to come back to the office. You know, they hadn't been back in the office yet. So when I was able to go out there, you know, they were regrouping for the first time. So there was this sense of of optimism and <laughs> people emerging from a hole. Yeah, people emerging from, you know, their their they hadn't seen each other in a couple of years, you know. So it was, oh, yeah. Yeah. It was uh it felt it felt um it felt good because starting to connect with people again and spend quality time with people again. Uh, I mean, ultimately that's the entertainment experience that's all right. about. I mean, that's why you have these facilities to begin with as much yeah. as we think that it's the thing. That's why I'm in this line of work. You right. know, I like to engage with people. I like to, you know, talk to people, I like to get to know people. And, um, you know, I think in, in the, the world of zoom, when we were, you know, in the dark days of, of quarantine, it was interesting because it was really productive. I found you could knock out a lot of conversations quickly. You know, you weren't planning for travel. You weren't on a plane. You weren't stuck on a tarmac somewhere. Um, so you were able to do a lot of volume related to, in, you know, conversations, but the quality of those conversations was not as good. And that only takes you so far, particularly if you're trying to start a new relationship. Absolutely. Right. It's that, that human connection kind of thing, you can't undersell it. I mean, I know it's like the technologies that we have to be able to bridge those gaps are great and they definitely fill a role, but it's just not the same as being able to, you know, look someone in the eye and just have offhand conversations and things like that. But I'm, you know, I'm curious, like if you feel like, are there any lessons from the pandemic that you take to the business? Like, okay, well, we had to do that during the pandemic, but you know what, that actually might be useful going forward post pandemic. I don't know if it's a new lesson so much as underscoring the importance of an old lesson, um, which is relationships are really important. Yeah. Particularly when you're going through a difficult, challenging time as an individual, as a, as a team, as a, as a company, yeah. um, your partners are key, you know, yeah. and um, in helping you navigate that, uh, whether that's, you know, related to, you know, the, the X's and O's of business, or just being able to vent about, you know, how challenging things are and, and, you know, being able to share that with someone. Shared experience rather than just going out to the front yard and yelling at the squirrels. Right. Now, I'm exactly. not saying I've ever done that. And I'm not saying that I have squirrels that are very shocked and frightened around where I live. But, you know, I understand exactly <laughs> what you're trying to say. Now, everybody's yeah. listening is like, this guy is clearly insane. <laughs> the, the other thing I'd, I'd say, and it's related to relationship is just having empathy yeah. you know, and, and really taking a moment to understand, you know, what your team is going through or what your partners are going through and, uh, you know, either in their professional or personal lives. And, um, 
you know, there were a lot of hard decisions made, it, it, you know, at the company I was working at and, and, you know, everywhere left and right, you know, and, and we had to, uh, a lot of people were let go during that time frame, yeah. just making sure you stay connected with them to figure out how you can help, what, how can you help them network, you know, what references can you provide? You know, it was, it was, it was key, I think. Well, also you're talking about relationships that you're creating from a partnership perspective, especially that are almost required to be long-term, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's really where the efficiency of the partnership equation comes to bear, right? You know, you're steering away from one and two year deals and things like that. Yeah. You can't, I mean, the obvious lesson is you can't risk long-term benefit where you may have to take one step back to go two steps forward in order to capture that i need to i need to do that short-term win in order because that's what the books are saying to do right now and that's not always an easy thing to do because you know like you said i mean the, when we were talking previously the you know the cycle resets every year um but that's that's the strategy that has to go into that thing which you just talked about it's empathy and understanding what that's going to be and how do you how do you construct the deals to be able to reflect what somebody's going through in that moment so you can prepare for something longer term yeah, and I think empathy leads to trust and trust leads to being able to have an open conversation about where your pain points are, where theirs are, how you guys can help each other in that, in that process. So let's talk about <laughs> trust a little bit, right? Because I think we've seen a few facilities, I mean, just over your right shoulder is crypto.com arena. Um, I think we've seen a few facilities with crypto naming rights in particular get burned, very high profile stuff with FTX going down and all the crazy and others are now sweating about where that next big payment's going to be coming from. And I'm wondering from your perspective, right, if it's always on the lookout for the next big category, right, what's going to be the thing that draws new revenues to you, the facilities? how do you protect like what do you feel like is your responsibility to make sure that okay this is very attractive opportunity but it's a very very risky bet is that a calculus that you make is it how do you you know what's the process that you put in place to be able to guard against things like that yeah i, I think understanding that there is risk yeah you know, is, is a starting point how you quantify you know the worst case scenario the likely worst case scenario um, sharing, you know, what that risk looks like with yeah. all of your key stakeholders and then doing what you can to hedge against it, right. you know, or, or, you know, um, mitigate it. And, right. and it's unique in every situation, but, um, on the whole, you know, it, it, it you may need to decide it, it's, it's not an opportunity you want to pursue, you know, for, for that reason, or if you are going to pursue it, it's clear, you know, that, uh, with everyone involved that, um, you know, there's some risk attached. Do you, has there ever been an op a moment where you've looked at a company that's saying, boy, we want to, we want to shower you with money right now. And you looked at it and said, I mean, I don't know if these folks are going to, A, maybe the brand's not the right fit, or I don't know if these people are going to be around in 18 months. So you, you take that step back. Is, is it, is it a difficult yeah. conversation? Uh, I, I won't, you know, name names, sure, but sure. Yes, certainly experienced that in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, especially, you know, when you're on the front line of business development or you're leading people on the front line of business development, they're hungry, you know. It's an eyes wide open construct, right? To be able to make sure that the people who are going into the relationship see all the possibilities and you know all the different avenues associated with that. 
Yeah, and you can't obviously predict the future, but I think you can you can gauge you know likely outcomes. Likely or, outcomes, yeah. Yeah, and it, you know I think you were also alluding to the idea that this is a hard thing to do, particularly when you're leading business development teams, right? Because I think people yeah. who are putting together these partnerships, they are naturally optimistic. They're going to see the opportunity and, oh, this is going to be great and we can do this stuff. Managing that could be really, really tough for your team to be able to say, well, hey, I, I know you love this deal and it's a huge revenue piece, but what do you, you know, how do you look at it objectively? How do you get them to look at it objectively? Does it go back to that same sort of thing? We've just got to look at it in all this different content. Yeah, I, I, I think you just got to you know, gather the facts as best you can. And sometimes that involves reaching out to your finance team and saying, can you do some due diligence on this? Group? Okay. Yeah. Bringing yeah, other people under, in. Yeah, understand. Do they have, you know, any actions against them, any liens against them, you know? So you just really do the best you can. Yeah. You do the best you can. And and if, if you're not getting any data, that's already, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. in this day and age, right? yeah. <laughs> like, I've never, I can't find this company online at all. <laughs> the, um, you know, the ASM business is, it's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, for all the complexities and new technologies and everything like that, digital science networks, this is all about getting people through the turnstiles. That's exactly right. right. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. we boil it right down to its core components. So I'm wondering then with your investments in new technology to drive new commercial opportunities, you know, there's also technologies that are going on that are not necessarily helpful to um, the the business case that that ASM brings to the table. Because I'm thinking like, you know, with virtual reality starting to become more of a thing, you know, streaming is so much more prevalent. Do you think that's anything that will ever supplant the live experience? Or is that something that you need to guard against from the kinds of programs you're putting together? I don't think it's something to worry about maybe in the trajectory of, of my career. Uh, I think it's way <laughs> down the road. And I say this, your, you know, your kids are going to have to worry about it. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, my wife works at, at Meta and I've had an opportunity to experience Oculus and it's great. It's, it's phenomenal, but there is no way that today it's replacing, you know, the, a live concert experience, you know? So I, I think it's, it's all additive and complementary um, at the moment. And um, uh, I think obviously we all need to keep an eye on it and figure out how it can enhance and um, uh, support, you know, the growth of our business. But um, I, I don't see it being an imminent, you know, concern. Do you and the wife sit around across the dining room table at each other and like have this argument? Uh, we really try not to talk about it there <laughs> when we come home. <laughs> okay, good. Particularly, I think we're pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, let's argue about the live versus virtual experience. That'll be a great way to spend time with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up with some perspective on your approach to partnerships, because like we talked about, you, you've been doing this for a while mm -hmm. and you've developed a skill set over a variety of different properties that you've worked for. Um, you know, putting together you know, partnerships of a variety of different scopes and scales, national, local, now obviously global. What does a successful partnership look like from your perspective? And, and what are the key things that you look that go into constructing them? You know, what you know, for people who are listening on this and saying, boy, I really want to ramp up my game, you know, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I, I think it all comes back to your, your clients' objectives. 
you know, and really developing a deep understanding of what they're trying to accomplish, what their business is, who they're trying to talk to, what they want them to do or believe about their brand. And then looking at your own platform and saying, this is how I can deliver against that brief. And whatever those KPIs are, you know, keeping them front and center and measuring against them continuously and figuring out how to optimize because your, your first attempt may not be the right approach. You may need to iterate and, and evolve. And if you're not prepared to do that, then, you know, you're not, you're not being a partner. I think it's one of the hardest things for people, particularly in our line of work, to wrap their arms around sometimes because you're representing a property, yet in your capacity, your interests are really focused on somebody else's objectives, mm-hmm. right? They, 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 you're, the, you're trusting the idea that you're going to benefit because you're able to deliver against their objectives, but you really have to, be, it goes back to that idea of empathy. You really have to look through the eyes of that other person or, you know, a brand or whoever it is you're engaged with to figure out what the solve is. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the core of the whole discipline, you know, of the whole job is, is getting into their business, getting into their head, understanding, you know, their pain points, their opportunities and how you can help them get there. I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, we talked about like, you know, you have to ramp up on being, you know, COVID was great because you have to ramp up on the facilities business and everything like that that goes along with working at ASM. But I mean, your capacity, you kind of have to be expert in the top 100 categories of business and where their pressure points are. And it's like, a, it's a constant learning cycle, That's right. isn't it? Yeah. And you, you, you know, you have to be curious and <laughs> um, you have to, um, ask the right questions, you know, and, and uh, not everyone knows how to articulate, you know, what it is they're trying to do. Sometimes you have to tease it out, you know, in in conversation. And that's where, you know, the, the relationship building, the trust, you know, the empathy all play a role. I'll I'll, I'll coalesce into one thing. Jason Oberlander, chief commercial officer of ASM global. Thank you very much for spending some time, but before I let you go, uh, I'm going to put you through the lightning round. Um, let's do it. Let's do this. All right. There's a bunch of questions. You have no idea what's about to hit you. So, um, let's get right at it. Okay. You are, your undergraduate work was at McGill university in Quebec. That's right. Um, James Naismith, the inventor of basketball is a notable alumnus. So, uh, in your best Quebecois accident, please say, hang the peach basket 10 feet high. Uh, Monte le uh, basket uh, defeat. De- <laughs> let, me, let me get back up. It's a lightning round over there. Right, we go. All right. Monte le basket de pêche uh, 10 pieds en avant. Oh, okay. Bon, oh, monsieur. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. ASM manages Ring Central Stadium. Uh, AKA Oco got O.co Coliseum, uh, AKA Overstock.com Coliseum, AKA McAfee Coliseum, AKA Network Coliseum, Network Associates Coliseum, AKA Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. So my question is this, when is it my turn to have my name on it? Well, the naming rights opportunity for Oakland Arena is now available. So if, you just never stop you selling. You offer forward, you know. <laughs> ADC Partners Coliseum coming up anytime soon. Just there never, we go. You just never stop selling, do you? All right, <laughs> you moved from NYC, uh, New York City to LA when you took the current job. What do you miss the most about New York City? 
Uh, I miss walking the streets of Manhattan and or Brooklyn for that matter or, or Queens. You know, it, it's um, it's a special place. It's a pedestrian city. You you you're on the street, you're on the sidewalk and life is happening all around you. And, and that's exciting. It's a little different than Los Angeles. You're in L.A., you know, you're, you're in your car. You've got, you know, armor around you. Um, you don't have the same connection to the city that you have in New York. All right. So similar kind of vein of that question. There's been a bit of precipitation in California recently. How would you describe rain driving skills in Los Angeles? Poor. <laughs> it doesn't really need more than that. All right. Last one. You've sold national partnerships for college sports at IMG College and later Learfield, as we've established. What's your best college football experience? Ooh, tough one. Um, they're all so good, but I think going to Austin for university of texas football game is is you know my favorite you know it's just an incredible um environment you know incredible fan base incredible you know game production uh it it's uh second that's right hook em horns jason oberlander chief commercial officer of asm global appreciate the time man thank you appreciate it thanks for listening to this adc partners podcast for more information about ADC Partners, please visit our website at adcpartners.com.